you know, as we were worshiping, normally I'm up here singing at the top of my lungs because I just love it. And yet this morning, even first service and again second service, I, uh, I just felt to just sing quiet, <laughs> which is not normal for me. Um, but just to listen to what like uh, Jim was sharing this morning, that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And just listening to you guys in the background was just amazing that we would take heed to that as well, to worship always, to never uh, take that for granted, but that we would always desire to worship and to know what his word says. If you have been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been in Second Timothy or Second Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> And if you've been with us for these last couple of weeks, you know that the subject matter has been about false teachers. And guess what? We're still in chapter 2, and we're still on the same topic. And I know that as we've been talking about this, we might say, like, come on, get on with it. Let's get on to some other topic, you know. Let's move on. Let's, let's talk about happier topics like grace and love and joy. You know, and I would love to, except that when we go through book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that is where we're at. And I know that I could probably, not likely, but probably have done chapter two in one study. <laughs> but there was so much that was in there. And, and I think as, as, as oftentimes we, we, we just want to move on and, and kind of go broad instead of deep. And I think it's very important to us and for us that we are aware about false teachers, which is our subject matter. I mean, that's what we've been covering. Because just like there was false teachers back then, they are very much active even today. And we should not even take that lightly. We are encouraged throughout the New Testament, especially, to be on our toes. The Word of God is there to instruct us because many false prophets have gone out and they will continue to go out. And 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I think that the reason why Peter has spent so much time covering this important subject is so that we as believers could be made aware of what is out there. We can't bury our, ha- our heads in the sand and not think about what's really going on in our lives because it, it, it's important that we understand because if we understand that there are false teachers that are after you, and after this church, <laughs> then we are more apt to pay attention to those who claim to speak for God. Because many claim to speak for God, and they are deceivers. First John 4.1 tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false teachers have, or false prophets have gone out into the world. How in the world can we test the spirits if we don't know what the truth is? 
And that's why it's important for us to be instructed in this topic even. So that we are not tossed to and fro with everything that comes our way. Because there's so much that comes our way. So many things that want to tickle our ears. So many things to make us feel better. To make us feel happy. (laughs) And that's not what the Word of God is all about. It's to instruct us in the way of righteousness. And I'll tell you this, Satan does not play by the rules. He never has and he never will. And if you try to give him the benefit of the doubt, oh, now that I'm saved, now that I've grown some in the Lord, he's going to leave me alone. Wrong. Wrong. He will not leave you alone. He will stop at nothing to try and deceive those who want to follow the Lord and those who have been following the Lord for a while. He will not give up. He is not afraid to infiltrate the church He has nothing to lose. (laughs) And so he will use wolves in sheep's clothing to come in and maybe smell like sheep and act like sheep, but they are not sheep. And yet many who are, as we'll look a little later, unstable in their way, (laughs) will follow after them. And what we're going to cover even this morning, Peter does not ease up in the latter chapter or in the latter part of this chapter. He does not ease up. If anything, his language gets even harsher towards these who are are deceivers, who are snakes, who are false teachers, those who have no fear of God. But make no mistake, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we will cover the whole chapter this morning. But beginning in verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who, were, who, would, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their deceptive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you in deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah one of eight people a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them to destruction making an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve unjust under punishment, the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment 
and especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Verse 12. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deception while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking in a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by the tempest, for whom is reserved the, darkness, the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. We'll stop right there. We'll finish it up in a little bit. But going back to verse 12, where we left off last week, these like unnatural or like natural brute beasts, Peter is still referring to the false teachers that he has been talking about throughout this whole chapter. These who are counterfeits that have infiltrated the church who know exactly what they are doing. Because of the tone that you can sense maybe in Peter's voice here, in his writing, we are not to think that these false teachers, these snakes who he is talking about, are somehow misguided. That somehow they are just naive or gullible believers. Because if they were misguided or gullible and even naive believers, then Peter would have taken a different tone in what he would be instructing us here to do. He would be telling us, hey, you need to go and bring them back and get them back on track. But that's not the tone that he is that he is sharing here. He's not talking about restoring the, such a one who has fallen. He, he, he continues to go right after them because they know exactly what they're doing. They're not gullible. They're going after the gullible. They're not naive. But they go after those who are. These people know exactly what they are doing. And unless they repent, <laughs> they will face the judgment that is due to them. 
the type of judgment that we covered last week, that we, that we looked at when, when we were talking about how God brought judgment upon the angels, upon the ancient world, and even upon so- Sodom and Gomorrah. And like I shared last week, God is not afraid to bring about judgment. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is all those things, but He is also a God of judgment. And He is not afraid to bring judgment. And He won't hold back. See, I would much rather, like I said, talk about the topics of love and joy and peace and all those things. But we have to cover the judgment part of God because that's who He is as well. See, oftentimes we, we have this concept of like, no, God's just a loving God. It's like, yes, he is. But the flip the coin. <laughs> There's another part of him that you don't want to be on that side. And yet these people are not fearful of that. They know exactly what they're doing. They are in it for covetousness. They are in it for greed. For any kind of gain. Be it to their ego, which they have a huge ego. They are in it for the money, the personal gain, the fame that, may, that, that might come from maybe taking advantage of people. You see, all those things, their ego, the money, the, 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 the gain, the fame, all those kinds of things, they are more interested in those things than in the souls of men. They don't care about the souls of men. They will use you and abuse you, and they could care less. But they will not escape the judgment that is awaiting them. Peter refers to them as natural brute beasts. Whoa. The, the, the picture that Peter is painting here is that of animals who are purely predatory. It, 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 is, it is within them. It is instinct, instinctive of them. They're only good for killing. And they don't, they don't change. Those kinds of predatory animals do not change. They are only doing what instinct tells them to do. They are working out of the natural that they are. That word natural means it, it, it means that it's instinctive. They're governed by instinct or they're governed by nature. The brute beast part means a living thing, i.e. animal, that is destitute, contrary, and without reason. In other words, they are irrational and unreasonable animals. That's what Peter is calling them. There's no reasoning with them. They they, they are focused on the prey. As I was thinking of that, I was thinking about where we live, how, how we have coyotes and how we have little rabbits. Right? There's coyotes and there's rabbits. And if you want to get more geographic, you know, like National Geographic, you can go with the lion and, and the gazelle, you know. Both of them have instincts. One of them is a prey and the other one is a predator. And you cannot reason, they cannot reason with each other. 
It's not like the rabbit or the gazelle can tell the coyote or the lion, hey, why don't you think about having a salad before you get into this dinner thing? It might work for Bugs Bunny, but it will not work in real life. There is no way that you are going to convince a coyote, if you're a bunny rabbit, hey, you don't want to do this. See, he's not thinking that. It's, it's not like a gazelle and a rabbit just kind of like run into a coyote or a, or a lion. They don't just like, hey, what's up? And pass each other. Even if the coyote or the lion is already eaten, is like, I'll save it for later. <laughs> Leftovers. That's their instinct. They work off of that. They're never going to be like best buds. They're never going to be friendly with one another. The coyote would say, I'll be friendly. I'll invite you over for dinner. I will have you over for dinner. I will have you for dinner. You see, that is their natural inclination. The predatories, predators, predators, whatever. Nature tells them what they are supposed to be doing. Nature instinct tells a predator to hunt. And it tells the prey to run. (laughs) And it's interesting because when you look at bunny rabbits, they just like on a dime take off. They're gone. Although not the ones on my yard, now that our dog is gone, they have no fear of me. They're like eating my grass going, what's up? It's like, "Ah, where's the dog? I should bring a coyote onto my property and keep him there. But more often than not, they are built to take off. Their senses can sense something. You never really see a lazy rabbit or gazelle when they know that there's prey or there's, you know, hunters around them. They they are like their 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 ears are like sensitive. It's interesting because man has a sin nature. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) We are sinful by nature. And we are capable of the most gross sins. Every one of us. But man is really the only creature in God's creation that can take on a different nature. We were told that in the first chapter that we can take on the divine nature of God. It can live within us and we could do things that are different. We don't have to go by our instincts. Our instincts is to just sin and be gross at it. But when we have the divine nature, we have something else working within us to where we desire to do what's godly and not what is fleshly or worldly. We have that opportunity You see, these brute beasts, they don't. They know about it, but they don't want it. These brute beasts, these false teachers, reject the the grace of God. They know about the grace of God, but they work against it. The grace of God has been provided for them even. And yet they desire, or their desire is to follow their fleshly desires, their own lusts. 
what will fulfill them in the here and now. And it's almost like they're not even worried about the judgment to come. Oftentimes they downplay the, 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 the judgment to come and that's where they're enticing other people. Oh, it's not going to be that bad. Don't fall for it. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as they seek to destroy the faith. <laughs> they themselves shall be destroyed, it says here. They will be corrupted by their own corruption. Their very nature will drag them down into destruction. That will be their reward for their labor. And they will have only themselves to blame. And I say that because, again, the grace of God has been provided for them and they know about the grace of God but they choose to work against it. Again, they almost have to know the truth so they can introduce the counterfeit, as we covered a couple weeks ago. They almost have to know exactly what the truth says so they can bring about a counterfeit, a false, a lie to entice other people. They work so hard against the grace of God, so it's not like they don't know about the grace of God. They absolutely do but their judgment is on their way. And we've learned that throughout this chapter. Most who do evil or are evildoers like that, most, those, most of those, they know that the best time to do their deeds is in the dark. And yet it tells us here that these have no, no regards for that. They will carouse or riot or do their deeds in daytime. There is no shame for them. It says that men love darkness rather than light. And yet these guys, they could care less if it's dark or it's light. They are going to deceive. They don't care. They, they don't care about their deeds. They will carouse and riot in the daytime. They will, they will act in their instinct. I, I like the way the, the, the New Living Translation puts verse 13. It says their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They're in and among the church. And they're enjoying this game that they're playing. They understand, they're looking, they're watching for the easy prey. They're looking to where they can go and befriend them and lead them away. Again, there is no shame in their game. If they, fear, if they don't fear God, they have no fear in deceiving His people either. I know that some, even as we've been reading through this and covering this, some will still ask, well, what, what if these false believers or these false teachers just don't know any better? There, there, again, there, there may be some, I covered that a couple of weeks ago or last week, there may be some who they've been raised in, in false teaching and that's all they know. 
But that's not who Peter is talking about here. That's not who he is talking about. It says that these cannot help but sin because they don't want to cease from sin. They know what they're doing. Someone who is born again, they may fall in some of these things that we have covered now and then, here and, here and there, you know. But they exer- their exercise regimen is to use self-control, to be self-disciplined in their life. You, you, you see, the false teacher uses no self-control. He is not self-disciplined. He is committing adultery, it says here, with his eyes all the time. He is not holding back. He enjoys it. And he has trained or exercised his heart in lust and greed. That is where his mind is going all the time. There is no self-control, nor does he want to use self-control. He has exercised it in the other direction to where there is no self-control. And these false teachers, they know who their target is. They know who and how to entice. And that word means to allure, to beguile, to seduce, to entrap, to bait. And they go after unstable, vacillating souls, as it means here. That's who they go after. Those who may not know much or nothing at all. Because they haven't had the time or make the time to go deeper into what they've introduced themselves to or come to know. You know, when, when, when a, a Christian or somebody accepts the Lord, they like, okay, I'm okay. They're just going to stay there. It's like, no, you've got to get into the Word of God. Because you're going to learn from the Word of God. But those who like, ah, I just can't, I just don't have time. It's like, guess what? That's who these false teachers will go and bait They know the bait to use. Whatever will make you feel better. (laughs) In the guise of making you happy, because it's all about being happy, right? Wrong. (laughs) It's not about being happy. Christianity is not about being happy. It's about righteousness. It's about holiness. That's what the Word of God is about. Can we be happy? Absolutely. But it doesn't depend on your happiness. And so again, these false teachers, when they spot their target, those who are unstable souls, they will pounce on them. Just like the, 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 the predatory animal, it will pounce on them. It will sneak up and pounce. It will do whatever it takes to unsuspecting souls. Peter says that they're accursed children. They're not blessed children. No, these love the wages of unrighteousness rather than the free gift of salvation. They work against that. They live for today to fulfill their lusts and desires. Verses 15 and 16, Peter gives us an example of what he has been trying to to tell us. And he uses this prophet Balaam as an example. 
This prophet Balaam was a prophet of God who sought God for direction and God spoke to him and gave him direction. But when it came to money and greed, even though in the story he says that the money doesn't matter, when they up the ante, all of a sudden it's like, say what? <laughs> you see, he marketed his gift. He, he, he was what you would call a hireling in that sense. He really didn't care. <laughs> if you know the story, and you can read it in Numbers 22 through 25, it says that Balak, he saw the children of Israel, and he feared, and he thought, well, I will go get Balaam and come and put a curse on them. Somehow, Balak knew that Balaam was for sale. And so he said, well, I'll go call him and he'll put a curse on them. And so he sends some people, a group, and they offer him money. He says, no, 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 it's not about the money. God told me not to do this. And so they go their way. They tell Balak, well, he doesn't want to come. It's not about the money. Well, here, take some more money <laughs> and go speak to him and tell him what we need him to do. And this time he go, they go back and they tell him the same thing. And this time he says, well, let me pray about that again. There's a danger in that. If God has spoken to you about a certain thing, and then the enticement comes again, it's like, well, let me pray about that. Because the next time he goes in and prays, God permits him to go. You want to go do it? Go do it. He had already told them not to do it. And yet, now God says, go ahead. Was it a test? Probably. <laughs> to see what he would do. And even as he goes, he says, I will only say what God tells me to say. Well, wait a minute. He already told you not to go, but now you're going. And when he goes and he's hired to curse the nation of Israel, what comes out is blessings. And Balaam gets upset. like, dude, I told you to curse him. He says, I only do what God tells me to do. And because he could not curse them verbally like that, he goes around and he says, okay, it's never going to happen that I can curse them, but I'll tell you how to get to them. The Israelites, they love the Moabite women. Send your women in there and they will fall. Sure enough. See, he sells his, his product to them. He shows them what to do. And it's interesting, as he begins to go, he gets on his donkey to take off, and three different times his donkey sees the angel and scurries out the other way that was before him. And Balaam hits the animal, hits his donkey. On the third time, when he bumps him into the rock, he gets all mad at him and strikes him again. And finally, the, the animal, the donkey, says, Hey, what's up? What the heck? Why are you hitting me? I've been nothing but good to you. And this is how deranged he is. The madness of the prophetess says here. His insanity. He gets in an argument with the talking donkey. Donkeys aren't supposed to be talking. But he is so deranged at this point. Maybe he knows what's in ahead of him, his gain, that he gets mad at the end and he has a conversation with this dumb donkey. Okay, maybe the donkey wasn't so dumb. Somebody else was dumb. And he goes and does what God had already told him not to go do. 
Again, if God's told you to do something, do it. If he's told you not to do it, don't do it. Don't go back and, well, let me pray about it again. Because I could guarantee you, you could pray yourself into a lot of stupid things. A lot. Peter also refers to these false teachers in verses 17 and 18, or 17. He refers to them as wells. Well, well, well. You see, he couldn't call them springs without water because a spring without water is no spring at all, but a well without water is still a well. And a dried up well will never, ever satisfy. I don't care how many times you throw the bucket down there. You will always come up empty. And so too, these false teachers. They are empty and they can never satisfy. They will paint you a pretty picture, but it's all watercolor. It will wash away as soon as the rains come. It is in direct contrast to the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the living water that will always satisfy. Many who are false teachers like to flatter people. But they are full of emptiness, it tells us here in verse 18. Full of emptiness and their promises, they, they vanish as soon as they promise them. They use great swelling words. Again, the Apostle Paul said this about himself when he went to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellent of, excellent of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that, the, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. With these false teachers, it all seems to revolve or yeah, revolve around the lust of the flesh. Whatever will satisfy the flesh. See, that, that, that's what they preach. Things that will make you feel good. Things that will make you feel happy and uh, stuff like that. Because <laughs> once again, it's all about your happiness, isn't it? No. They will never satisfy and they will always go after the new or those who have barely escaped from their old ways. Those who don't know enough. And they tell them a lie and they begin to, to, begin, they begin to, to, to listen to these lies and they feel good about it. These false teachers, what they offer is a contradiction to who Jesus is, the truth. You see, the, the truth is plain and not complicated. The truth is simple and it's not hard to obtain. There's a sweetness about the truth. Not like a life. It ends up being bitter. <laughs> you see, the truth will never lead you in any kind of perversion, Ever. See, these false teachers, these false prophets, they, they, they come at you to fulfill your own desires, your own lusts. 
under the guise that it's, it's okay. God won't worry much about that. You can, you can be happy as long as it makes you feel good. You can do it. It's like, no, it's not about you feeling good either. Verse 19 to the end of the chapter. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the, the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again, again entangled in them and overcome. And the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to wallow in the mire. It is impossible for these false prophets to truly give you freedom and liberty because they themselves are so ingrained, entrenched in bondage. And yet they will tell you that you are set free to do whatever you want to do. You don't have to, it's like it's so old, you don't have to do, I mean, that was meant for those guys back then. We're living in the new, you know, a new world, you know, more relevant than stuff. And yet they're in more bondage than anything. The promises are empty. And again, it goes back to the very beginning. When Satan promised Eve that she will be like God. All the while knowing that he was going to put her in bondage into the corruption of sin. You see, she thought, wow, I'm going to know everything. And yet she got shackled by sin and corruption. Satan is already in bondage. He already knows that. He already knows his end. And so he wants to put as many into bondage as he possibly can. Under the guise of once again, to do your own thing. If it feels good, just do it. You deserve to be happy. (laughs) Don't get caught up in that lie. Don't get caught up that you have to be happy, guys. Can we enjoy happiness? Absolutely. That's what the word blessed means. Oh, blessed is the man. Oh, how happy is the man. But it doesn't have to do with our happiness. These false teachers are so deluded, adulterated, contaminated that they can't see how much in bondage they really are. They have fallen for the lie of Satan. And they're doing exactly what Satan wants them to do. Verse 20 and 21 says, For for if, after having escaped the pollution of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled, or they again entangle themselves and are overcome. And they're worse off than they were in the beginning. 
The they here in verse 20 more than likely is referring to the false teachers, but some think that it's talking about the unstable souls that were mentioned earlier. Still others indicate that it could be, be referring to both the false teachers and the unstable souls. And I tend to lean towards the, just the false teachers themselves. You see, it's a sad thing when anybody has the opportunity or has, had, has been given the opportunity to taste that the Lord is good and has been offered an escape to the pollution of this world and yet they reject it. You see, because the same grace that you have received has been, has been offered to everybody else. And yet they reject it. And in a sense, they entangled themselves or are overcome. And so they're worse off and they will not be held guiltless. They will have to give an account for, for what they know, what they have heard. And it's almost like it would have been better off if they had never heard the way of righteousness than having heard it to work against it. They will receive the wages of their unrighteous actions because they know exactly what they're doing. They are worse off because they've rejected it. And they continue to reject it. Every time they go into an infiltrated church and they're hearing the true gospel preached and they're continuing to reject it and still deceive people, they're worse off because they work so hard against the holy commandments that has been delivered. And every time they reject it, they become more and more callous, unfeeling, heartless towards the people of God. And verse 22 tells us that it has happened to them according to the true proverb that a dog returns to his vomit and a pig goes right back into the mire. You see, back then, and even today, Jews considered dogs and, and pigs to be the lowest forms of creatures, the dirtiest. And so Peter chooses these animals to describe these who, who knew the truth or know the truth and yet turn away from it. And even Jesus said something about dogs and pigs in Matthew 7, 6, where he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your, their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. <laughs> the first proverb about the dog returning to the vomit is from Proverbs twenty six eleven, And the second one is uh, about a pig going back to, to the mud was a saying among the Jews there in the first century. But the underlining principle of both of these is that false teachers never were what they seemed to be and returned to what they had been all along. That's who they were. They never changed. They might have put, it up, put on that air that they've changed, that they're somehow godly, but they're not. Dogs and pigs can be scrubbed and kept clean for a while. A pig may look clean on the outside because he's been washed up. A dog may feel clean inside because he's vomited up what irritated him inside. But guess what? He will go back and eat that vomit. And that pig will go back right into the mud. That's who they are. They won't change. I don't care how many times you put them inside the house and keep them clean. As soon as they can, they will go out and do it. 
These false teachers are in such bondage and they're so far from the truth. And they get deeper and deeper into the filth, even their own spiritual filth than ever before. And as believers today, we would do well to heed Peter's warnings here against these false teachers, to learn how to discern truth for ourselves and then to teach it to other people. These false teachers will themselves meet destruction. But the sad thing is that in the process, they will destroy other people, those unsuspected souls, those unstable souls. They will ruin their lives as well. And as Christians, we need to wage a spiritual warfare. To be effective, we need to know the enemies. (laughs) We need to discern these people who are false teachers. And I'm not talking about people that just kind of rub you the wrong way. I'm talking about people, because oftentimes you have a, a check about somebody, but they're just rubbing you the wrong way. They're not teaching false doctrine. They're just rubbing you the wrong way. I'm talking about those who are leading you astray, who are trying to cause division within the church. These techniques that these heretics have are the same that we've been learning about. They're still doing it today. And they won't change. But the end resu- the result, the end result of their deception is that they will earn the, ri- the, the wages of unrighteousness. But again, the un- unstable souls are the ones that also pay the price. And so we need to take heed. Guys, my encouragement is know the word of God. Know the truth that when a fake, a counterfeit pops his head up, you can tell. Don't be immature to where you're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Anything that tickles your ears, that makes you feel happy all the time, be careful with that. It's about righteousness. It's about holiness. It's about what God's Word tells us. My encouragement is, know what the Word of God says so that you can walk in it and discern. Amen? Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. Father, once again, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord. Father, with this message that once again, as we've been covering for the last few weeks, Lord, as Peter has been warning us and and instructing us about these false teachers, Lord. Father, I, I, I pray that, God, you would give my brothers and sisters discernment. That, Lord, they would know what your word says, Lord. God, not just what I say up here, but because they're reading it on their own. Because they're, they're, they're interested in what it means to, to have false teachers come in. That, Lord, they would be spiritually aware. That they would be steadfast and stable, not unstable. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would have that desire to grow and to know more about you, Lord God. Father, we do praise you and thank you for your word. It instructs us in a way of righteousness. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. And we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.